Welcome to RoyalOaks.com. I'm Royal Oaks. So the big headline of the day on the Obamacare front is that a gigantic insurance company is thinking about bailing on Obamacare. What a shock. What a stunner. I don't think Nostradamus could have seen this one coming. Let's try to sift through the rubble and see if we can somehow reconstruct what happened. For example, how did our health care system wind up so dysfunctional? We live in a capitalist society where the market system, supply and demand, works just fine when it comes to people getting cars and bread and ping pong tables. So why not health care? Next, how did we get this dog's breakfast called Obamacare? i got to admit to you, until a year or so ago, I'd never heard the expression, dog's breakfast. Is it really on your radar screen? Apparently it means a big mess. So if it's a thing, I guess I should use it now and then. So finally, when the dust settles, and I like that a little better than dog's breakfast, when the dust settles, what can we do to fix the situation? Well, the good news is the solutions are staring us in the face high deductible plans, and health savings accounts. They're going to lead us out of the wilderness. The bad news is we're going to have to wait until we get a new president to get her done. All right, on to question one. How did we get into this situation in the first place? Well, like so many problems in society, the reason our healthcare system is a total freaking mess can be traced to the fact that the rocket scientists who have run our economy for the last 70 years or so since World War II have ignored the genius of the market system. And the market system isn't some exotic, complex mechanism. It's simply a matter of freedom of choice. Folks want goods and services. Lots of providers of goods and services compete for their business. Every time a consumer buys anything, whether it's a donut or a vacation or a house or a hat or a Band-Aid or an appendectomy, he sits down and he gazes out at countless options. Let's say he has just 100 options. Let's say he's buying a loaf of bread. 100 companies are clamoring for his business, and they're providing what they hope will be the perfect combination, in his mind, of quality and price. He wants to pay the lowest possible price, but he also likes the idea of high quality. So which bread will he pick? And it's not just bread. It's everything. What vacation package will he get? What doctor will he hire? If the market system works... Countless people compete for his business, and he picks a winner. The winners thrive. They tend to get picked by a lot of other smart consumers, and everybody's happy. Enter the medical system. You may have noticed that's not how it works. People don't sit down in a little room and scan 100 different choices and say, let's see, how much will my medical care cost if I buy it from this insurance company? How much will it cost if I buy it from a different company? No, medical care is different. Why is that? Well, let's go back through the dim recesses of time to World War II. The folks who were running our economy in World War II saw the fact that because of the wartime demands on our economy, there was huge pressure to push up wages and prices, and inflation was a real problem. So they said, okay, that's it. Nobody can raise their prices, and nobody can raise their wages. We have decreed there shall be wage and price controls. But companies still wanted to hire the best people, and they wanted to compete to entice the best people to join them. So what did they do? Well, because their hands were tied and they couldn't actually raise wages, they gave stuff away. Specifically, they gave away health care. 
He said, come with us. You'll be covered by a group health insurance policy as an employee of our company. It'll be great. It'll be better than a wage increase. So people signed up with Rockwell and General Motors, and they got free health care. So when they had free health care, did they sit in a room and scan 100 doctors, nurses, hospitals, insurance companies, and go through the magic process of comparing quality with price, mulling it over, and finally picking a winner? No, they just got their free health care with their employer-provided health insurance policy. And when a consumer isn't paying for what he gets, and he doesn't go through the process of comparing quality with price, guess what? You go hog wild. I don't know where that expression came from. It's probably unfair to hogs. Anyway, you overuse. You aren't careful about how much of a product you use, which drives up the cost of the product. So what else has happened in the last few decades? Well, in addition to free health care through group health insurance, the government got into the business. The government decided to try to buy a bunch of votes by giving away a bunch of free stuff, namely medical care. They were going to trot out Medicare for the old folks and Medicaid for the poor folks, and more and more stuff got given away for free because more and more politicians were smart enough to realize that the more stuff they gave away for free, the more votes they would get. But once again, the market system wasn't allowed to work because the people who got the free health care through Medicare and Medicaid don't sit down in that little room and look at the 100 options comparing quality and price and take part in the magic market system. They just take. So, of course, our health care system is a mess. People don't have any skin in the game. Occasionally, you have plans with some deductibles, so there's a little influence of the market system. A little common sense creeps into the plan, but it's pretty rare. We could bring the system back to earth by greater involvement of citizens in the selection of their health care, their doctors and deductibles, but we don't do stuff like that because as big employers and big government, we just want to give away free stuff. All right, on to question two. What was the president thinking? How did he come up with the disaster that is Obamacare? Well, he wants people to vote for Democrats, so he figured one way to get the votes was to give away free medical care for everybody. They call it single-payer. They also call it socialized medicine. It's what they've got up in Canada, and it's what they have in Western Europe, and it's a disaster. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out why it's a disaster. If you're going to give away free anything, you're going to run out of whatever you're giving away really fast. And then the stuff you'll be able to continue to give away for free can't be very good and people are going to have to stand in line for a long time to get it. Now, this isn't some wacko, right-wing, Tea Party tycoon talk. It's common sense. It's human nature. It's historical experience. If you don't have skin in the game, if there isn't a little something for the effort by the consumer, well, forget about it. The doors are going to get blown open. So Obama knew this would be a disaster that he couldn't sell to the American people through the Congress. So he didn't even try to get single-payer, even though he's on record as saying single-payer is the thing that everybody should have. So what he did instead was he came up with Plan B. He and Jonathan Gruber and a bunch of other folks sat down and tried to figure out, okay, how can we move part way towards single-payer without really letting the American public know what we're up to? Ah, we've got it. Let's force everybody to buy a policy of health insurance. That's it. And if they can't afford it, 
Well, we'll help them out. We'll give them a little break on the price. We'll call it a subsidy. People love price breaks. So that way, we'll pretty much have the single-payer free insurance for everybody approach. It will be free for the folks who don't have much money. For the middle class, we'll give them a small haircut off the price of their insurance. And as for the rich folks, well, they're on their own. They're forced to buy insurance. That's the law. Then they kept thinking, okay, everybody has to buy health insurance. Well, since we've got them where we want them, why don't we just tell them what kind of insurance they have to buy? We can't just let people pick and choose the coverage levels they want and the deductibles, the features. You know, prescription drugs, mental health counseling, pregnancy. We can't just let people buy the stuff they want. Well, why not, Mr. President? Well, think about it. The whole idea here is to give free coverage of all kinds to everybody. So we want the whole society to pay for the stuff that people don't want and don't need. That way, the premiums they pay for all that stuff that they don't want and they don't need can go to paying for the stuff for the people who will use it. Then came the really sad part. In order to sell Obamacare to the American people, the Obama administration, well, they decided to lie to the American public. Again, this isn't Tea Party crazy talk. It's irrefutable fact. When he told people they could, he help, they could keep their health plan if they liked it, that was false. The Obamacare law has explicit health insurance coverages you have to have, from drug abuse counseling to alcohol rehab therapy to birth control. When he told people they could keep their doctor if they wanted to, that was also false. And the sad part is, it wasn't just one or two comments by the president at a press conference. No, his assurances were part of a PR drumbeat, a campaign to sell Obamacare to the American public that spanned 25 presidential falsehoods over 11 months during the 2009 to 2002 run-up to the congressional vote. In May 2009, the false statement first appeared on the White House webpage about keeping your doctor and keeping your plan. And then the next month, in June 2009, in the president's weekly address, same thing happened word for word. Then his town hall in Green Bay, Wisconsin, same month, his speech to the American Medical Association, and at another press conference. Moved to July 2009, Rose Garden remarks, a rally for New Jersey Governor John Corzine, the presidential weekly address, another Rose Garden talk, remarks in Shaker Heights, Ohio, and a town hall in Raleigh, North Carolina. Moved to August 2009, the Presidential Weekly Address, a town hall in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a town hall in Belgrade, Montana, the Presidential Weekly Address again, a town hall in Grand Junction, Colorado, remarks to Organizing for America, whatever that is, and another Presidential Weekly Address. Now we move to 2010, the month of March. A presidential speech on health care reform, a weekly address, a speech in Glenside, Pennsylvania, a talk in St. Charles, Missouri, remarks in St. Louis, Missouri, a speech in Strongsville, Ohio, love that name, and remarks in Fairfax, Virginia. Every single one of these, 25 appearances and speeches, the exact same falsehood. We were disgusted over the lies told by Richard Nixon as part of the Watergate scandal. We know that Lyndon Johnson's credibility gap well, it was really bald-faced lies to the American public about what was happening in the war in Vietnam. And we now know that President Obama cynically and endlessly repeated the same falsehood to the American public. 
And the fact people couldn't get the coverage they wanted was a massive flaw in his plan. The government tried real hard to get people to buy these policies that folks didn't really want, but it didn't go very well. Maybe it shouldn't have come as a surprise to the president, but when the government tells you to buy something and it really wasn't your idea and you don't have any right to pick and choose the features you want, a lot of people aren't going to buy it. And they refused to buy, even though they knew they were going to get hit with a penalty of a few hundred thousand, a few hundred dollars, up to a few thousand dollars. So, what was the result of a lot of people not buying insurance? Well, the technical insurance term for that situation is disaster. The whole idea of insurance is that lots and lots of healthy, lucky people pay lots of money for health insurance, and then thank God they don't need it. They're glad they bought it because they were prudent. You never know when disaster will strike. But for insurance to work, only a small fraction of people end up getting benefits of 10 grand or 100 grand or a million dollars because of some awful illness or some huge operation. The great majority of people, luckily, have little, if any, need to hang out with doctors or hospitals in the average year. That's how insurance works. But if you mess with people's lives and you force them to buy insurance or pay a penalty, and if you load up the policies with all sorts of expensive coverages they don't want and they don't need, then you turn the whole idea of insurance on its head. You wind up with a bunch of people who are old or sick or just really cautious, and you wind up with a lot of medical bills that need to be paid, but not much in premiums available to pay the bills. Now, the cynics among us will say this disaster, this failure of the insurance system with mostly sick people buying insurance, so the premiums are totally inadequate to pay the cost, was something the president kind of knew would happen. And in fact, he welcomes it because it gives him the ability down the road to speak to the nation and say, well, <laughs> we tried to avoid single payer, but doggone it, it just didn't work. We're going to have to go with that socialized medicine federal government is just going to have to pay for all medical care because private insurance just isn't cutting it. But, you know, let's be fair. Let's see why is it private insurance isn't cutting it. Obamacare says to the insurance companies, there's a new sheriff in town, pal. You know how in the past you'd make people take physical exams and if they had some health problems, you'd actually charge them more for their health insurance or you might even turn them down? Not anymore. You got to take everybody. Plus, you know how in the old days you could come up with a bunch of different policies with different features, different coverages, high deductibles, low deductibles, and you could compete with a thousand other insurance companies for people's business. That's in your rearview mirror, pal. Now you can only sell the policies with all the coverages loaded in that the federal government wants everybody to have. 90-year-old lady wants a policy. She's got to buy pregnancy expense coverage. 70-year-old man who hasn't had so much as a cigarette in his entire life, yeah, he's got to pay for drug abuse counseling protection. Plus, there's more bad news. We think you guys are just, you know, making a little too much money in the health insurance field. The profit has really been excessive. So we're going to have to make sure your profit is limited. Um, we're setting a limit on the amount of money you can make. For every dollar you bring in in premium, we're going to tell you how much of it you have to pay out in benefits. Don't even think about making a killing in this business. So the whole ship starts to th sink. The policies are too rich with benefits people don't want. Uh, they're just too expensive, even for people who get a price break. And now we're seeing the natural consequence. 
Specifically, United Health Group, one of the nation's biggest health insurance company groups, shocked its investors recently when it dramatically lowered its profit estimates, pointing out it was looking at a loss of hundreds of millions of dollars on selling individual health insurance policies under Obamacare. And as a result of these losses, the company is warning everybody it's thinking about not selling Obamacare policies in 2017. So the good news is that instead of letting Obamacare uh, cram single-payer socialized medicine down the nation's throat, the slow disintegration of the Affordable Care Act might lead Congress to come up with some changes to Obamacare. Don't look for that to happen overnight. Specifically, don't look for it to happen until January 20, 2017, when we have a new president and a new Congress. So the basic problem is that Obamacare is trying to put a square peg in a round hole. The round hole is the health insurance marketplace. And that marketplace is no different from any other market. You have the price paid by the consumer, and you have costs paid by the company. And it's pretty straightforward. In order for a company to exist, the price it takes in has to be bigger than the cost it pays out. How does a health insurance company make sure it doesn't go broke? In other words, how does it make sure that the premiums it takes in add up to more than the medical bills it pays out the door? Well, it sells a product that it reasonably expects, based on decades of actuarial data, will result in a payout of X dollars and a premium intake of something more than that. And by the way, that health insurance company, meantime, has to compete against a thousand other health insurance companies, all scrambling for your business, providing different mixes of coverages and deductibles and premiums to lure people into buying their policies. But you can't participate in that process if the government tells you what the mix of coverages and deductibles will be. And you can't lure healthy people into buying your policy if the government forces them to buy coverages they don't want. There's a name for what's going on. It's kind of dramatic. It's called a death spiral. Insurance depends on lots and lots of healthy people buying policies because it's the prudent thing to do, because it's what they want to do for their own and their family's security. But when premiums go up dramatically, as we're seeing in the Obamacare disaster, not so many people are willing to buy health insurance, even if it means paying a penalty to the federal government. And who is it exactly that bails out on buying insurance? Well, it's the younger, healthier people. So next year, what does that mean? It means the pool of people being covered by insurance are older and sicker, and that means the expenses that health insurers have to pay go up. So with medical bills payable by the insurance companies going up and premiums going down, that adds up to one thing. For the people who still have health insurance, they're going to get hit with really big premium increases, which in turn forces even more of the younger, healthier people to bail out, even if it means paying a penalty. And now you have an even smaller, sicker pool of policyholders, hence the death spiral. People don't like it when they get a big health insurance premium increase. But under Obamacare, there's no alternative because of the health insurance requirements that are facing the insurance companies. You know, uh, they got 100 bucks in medical bills. They have to take in $100 in premium and a little more to pay those bills. And if they don't, it has to increase the premiums, and then they might have enough money to pay the bills. Bottom line, Obamacare is not working. Obama has had a goal of signing up about 10 million people with the federal and the state health law exchanges by the end of 2016. Now, 
You want to know what the Congressional Budget Office has estimated that the number of sign-ups is? 10, 20 million was the estimate. Uh, so we're falling short by about 10 million people. And now, at last, the payoff, the money shot. Question three, what the hell can we do to get out of this wilderness? Okay, enough of the gloomy Gus routine. No more Debbie Downer. I got solutions here. Here's the deal. The healthcare system, fueled by Obamacare, is going to deteriorate into such a mess that as soon as the president is out of office, it doesn't matter who's running Congress, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, there is going to be such a clamor to fix this thing that we actually are going to have an opportunity to right the ship. So here are two essential elements of a correction. First, high deductible insurance coverage. And second, health savings accounts. Okay, what's a high deductible insurance plan? Well, it's where the individual pays a few thousand dollars for most health care services before the plan kicks in to cover claims. What a wacky notion. The idea that people would have the right to lower their premiums and increase the amount of money they would have to pay before their insurance could kick in, thus saving our health system from certain destruction by means of the death spiral. Study after study shows that high deductible plans massively reduce health spending without increasing ER visits or hospitalizations. It's actually a, a weird situation, a kind of unintended consequences deal. As Obamacare gets more and more expensive and the premiums go higher, it's going to push people to go for high deductible plans. Right now, about 40 million Americans have plans that are considered high deductible under Obamacare, say 1200 bucks a year for an individual, 2400 for a family. The popularity of these plans in the last two or three years has doubled. And with a high deductible plan, consumers will actually start comparing prices for checkups and procedures and doctors. Providers of health care will have to compete based on quality and price and service, just like the rest of the economy. Right now, of the $3 trillion we spend on health care every year, the actual patients only spend 11% of that. But that's still a boatload of money. It's $330 billion, which is more than we spend on shelter and food and transportation. Now, here's the dirty little secret. Hardcore fans of socialized medicine have no interest in high-deductible plans. They have no interest in seeing that people make prudent buying decisions with respect to the first hundred dollars or couple of thousand dollars of their medical needs. Instead, they want everything to be free, something that would guarantee that everything is low quality, in short supply, and rationed, and coming to you courtesy of your friends in Washington, D.C. As a result, President Obama's exchanges, where you buy your Obamacare policies, make it very difficult for you to maneuver through this morass and find high-deductible plans. On to the second part of the solution, health savings accounts. So here's the problem. Nobody knows what they are. Nobody knows how they work. And yet they're essential to fixing the mess. The deal is you take a few thousand dollars of your income and you put it in an account. You set it aside to pay for your medical expenses that your insurance doesn't cover because in order to get a nice low premium, you went along with a nice high deductible. And here's the good news. You don't have to pay taxes on the money you put into the health savings account. Then, if you don't need it during the year, you get to roll it over into the next year's account. Now, you can either put money into a health savings account on your own as an individual, or the boss can kick in some money down at work. Either way, the account is tax-free. And as the account grows, the growth is tax-free. 
let's take an example. Let's say you make 50 grand a year. So you put 3,000 bucks into your health savings account. That makes your taxable income a little less, 47,000. Well, if you're in the 28% tax bracket, you've just saved 28% of 3,000 or $840 in taxes. The idea of the money in the account is that you'll use it to pay your health expenses that your health insurance doesn't cover. So, does this combination of high deductibles and health savings accounts really work? You bet. Studies show when they team up, healthcare spending actually drops 15% per year. And the idea is catching on. Last year, the number of health savings accounts increased by 29%. About 15 million Americans have them. About a third of all employers offer some kind of HSA, way up from 4% just 10 years ago. Health savings account holders deposited over $20 billion last year. The problem is the Obama administration doesn't like this either. He, they don't like it when people try to solve their own problems. Obamacare builds in restrictions against health savings accounts. For example, there's an outright ban on HSA participation by seniors in Medicare. It's one of the problems we can solve when the president is no longer threatening to veto a law and, oh, by the way, shut down the government if he doesn't get the legislation he wants. So, like Paul Harvey used to say, now you know the rest of the story. You know how we screw things up? by giving stuff away and turning our back on the market system. You know the depth of the dishonesty forced on the nation by uh, the president's sales job on his namesake law. And most important, you've got your solution to our health care problems in two easy steps. High deductibles, health savings accounts, new president. Simple as that. Oops, I guess that's three steps. So does Obamacare make you think of the movie Network? You're mad as hell and you're not going to take it anymore? Maybe Bob Seger is your inspiration. His 1981 anthem for individuality touched a nerve for millions. The song was made famous in the movie Body Heat. It's number 42 on our top 50 songs of all time, and it captures the way countless Americans feel about the government stuffing you into a box they think is best. This is Bob Seger's Feel Like a Number. I take my card and I stand.